Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as this week I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Charlie Mendez, the lead designer behind the award-winning tabletop RPG Shiver, a game that lets players bring their favourite scary movies, spooky TV shows and horror stories to life. Ever wanted to play through the plot of your favourite film on the tabletop? Ever wanted to make sequels, pre-sequels and original stories in the worlds of pop culture that you love? Well, Shiver lets you play that. Published by Parable Games, Shiver has easy-to-learn rules that make it fast to play and keep players immersed in chaotic and dark magic-filled stories. Shiver uses symbolic dice to keep players engaged in the story, as well as provide a visual role-playing aid that does away with pesky arithmetic. Character creation is easy and quick, with a simple skill point and ability system that links to the game's dice. Shiver is perfect for a one-shot or short story between main campaigns, but it can also be used to form longer narratives, tying one-shot stories together using the rules for sequels. Parable Games' latest funding campaign, Shiver Double Feature, brings two new expansions to the core game. In Shiver Blockbuster, players can be movie stars and play out your favourite big-screen hits such as Jurassic Park or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Whilst in Shiver Slasher, players must try to survive the night in their own horror movie, inspired by such cult classics as Friday the 13th or Halloween. After talking to Charlie about Shiver and these new upcoming expansions, I'm honestly so excited to run this game. I think it's one of the most unique and well-designed RPGs for telling horror stories. I think it's been one of my favourite RPGs to read to date. The funding campaign for Shiver Double Feature is set to go live on October 11th on GameFound, so be sure to check it out there and support it. I'll put links to that and to Parable Games' website on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. Well, let's start then with a really simple, easy question for you. So who are you and what do you do? So I'm Charlie Menzies. I'm the lead designer um, and writer for Shiver RPG. I kind of handle all the writing for the main core book, although now we're bringing more people onto the team, as well as various other uh, bits within Parable Games as well. So how did you get into writing your own role-playing game, which has very recently won People's Choice for the best RPG at UK Games Expo? Congratulations on that. That's a pretty amazing feat. So yeah, so how did you get into role-playing and how did you get into writing your own games? So I've always been into kind of writing since I was quite young and I kind of went off to university to study film and television uh, with the aim of being a scriptwriter um, was actually my kind of main goal. But whilst I was there, um, made friends with a lot of actors and kind of film people and ended up kind of falling into kind of like a few kind of D&D groups and various other kind of like role-playing groups and had just a whale of a time. For us, we found it was like a really nice way of if you had a high concept idea, which as a student, you'd never have the money to make it as a film, <laughs> just play, play it out together and have a load of fun with it. So it was kind of born there. And then after I left university, I moved down to London um, to kind of work in the film industry. And um, all of my friends got scattered to the four winds. So I thought, oh, what, what's a great way to kind of keep everybody together, kind of play some role playing games. But we kind of realized like one thing started to kind of cause an issue is that a lot of my friends have kind of some form of like dyslexia or dysnumeracy. And so certain systems start to become really, really intimidating. So I thought, you know what? I'll homebrew a system. I'll have a little fun, design some stuff, put it together and play it with my friends. And then that has over time evolved into Shiver. Um, and that's kind of how I kind of got started and how we kind of got to the start of, of where Shiver is now. That's such a, an interesting point, as you say, like when people think of role-playing games, they instantly think, ah, dice rolling, there's a lot of maps. And like you said, it can be quite intimidating. And yet there is like this now wave of games that are going away from dice mechanics as we used to think of them as like roll a D6, add the numbers, et cetera. Where it's now like like in Shiver, you have like a customized symbol, which is like you interpret it. So it's not like a binary success or failure or using tokens or even just conversation. And so that's such a cool thing, just a little bit more in terms of accessibility. Hopefully one that people are starting to think more of when they're developing games. But specifically Shiver, as it's sort of given away in the title, it's primarily horror. So are you a big horror fan yourself? Do you like running horror role-playing games? Or is it just like, I'll start there? (laughs) 
Massively. So I became a kind of big horror fan whilst I was at university. Again, I kind of discovered more and more horror films, a kind of massive wealth of kind of foreign cinema that and that kind of intrigued me as well. And it was very interesting because there was always a small group of us where kind of people like, ah, horror is trash or horror is is not art. And there was a very kind of big resistance to like genre cinema. But for me, I I love genre cinema deeply. So it's so I love I love horror, but I love genre in kind of general. But horror has always been the standout for me. There's something about it in terms of like you're gathering around with a group of people, particularly in the cinema, and you're kind of getting that visceral reaction all together. And I really liked that experience whenever I ran horror games, whether it be ball games or kind of RPG games, where there was this kind of nice visceral reaction from everyone as a group. And I think that's really kind of why I landed on horror um, so, so much. It's a genre I have a, a deep affinity and love for. That's such a good way of putting it as well, because I guess some people won't get high fantasy. They can't relate to it and can't relate to sci-fi, all that sort of thing. But there is something about horror where I think every one of us on a based human instinct level will tap into that like oh there's definitely that unease and stuff and yeah i think you can do so much with the power of words certainly like describing things depending on obviously people's sensitivities and and sort of boundaries as well do you have a particular favorite horror game that's not obviously not shiver um but is there a particular one that you were running or like a particular i guess genre of horror perhaps that you really liked Ooh, that's a really good question I tend to dabble around with a lot of the different subgenres that I kind of really enjoy. I have a deep affinity for the kind of the classic like Hammer horror films and Universal horror films. And I found, um, although I played it kind of after kind of starting on the kind of journey with Shiver, Betrayal at House on the Hill, um, I think has a fantastic way of kind of capturing that mm. beautiful B-movie energy yes. um, of all these kind of playing all these wonderful little characters and kind of traitors being revealed and mm. and you're not never really it's sitting down and never really knowing exactly what's going to happen and that tension as you build the house is fantastic yes um so i, I really enjoyed that escape dark castle uh, was another mm. one as well for the the sense of collaborative play is one that really shone out to me of that the rule of like if one of you dies you all fail and there's mm. this constant negotiation and talk around the table about who's taking the next card who's injured who has the stale bit of cheese and <laughs> I, I, I kind of really enjoyed that as well and in terms of other rpgs i've always tried to infuse when, when i was kind of running dnd i'd always infuse as much horror as possible um i, I found um <laughs> as, as, as well as a good amount of humor kind of in there in there too but um call of cthulhu i think mm -hmm. as well it's definitely i've had some great experiences uh, with call of cthulhu as well as a horror game there's something about Betrayal and House and Hill. I've got it, again, you, can, you probably can't see it as the, the board game stack of doom of games I've not played. Um, mm. Yeah, Betrayal is there, um, but it's one of those ones, again, I never have enough people around to play it, but the just reading through the scripts and that every time you play, it's a different story, just depending on what you get as well. So the idea that you could have that trope of a haunted house that you are building together, but then suddenly it changes and then having that betray mechanic as well. It's, yeah, it's all, all of that is like tick, tick, tick. So to have that in an RPG game as well, Let's talk about it then. So what is Shiver and how does it stand out from other RPGs that are out there? So Shiver is a horror RPG that allows you to play any pop culture, film, TV, book, anything horror that you've ever kind of seen or enjoyed. You can bring it to life on the tabletop. It's completely setting neutral, which I think is a very unique feature of it. We've designed the rule set so that you can be playing as medieval peasants going up against a demon boar one minute or shooting off into space and like fighting xenomorphs the next. It really lends itself to that kind of one-shot, let's play a horror movie night kind of play, mm -hmm. I'd say. And I think that makes it kind of very unique of that. It really, really leans into that sense of like getting a cinematic feel around the table. We also have a, a kind of mechanic called the Doom Clock, mm -hmm. um, which ticks, it's a 60-minute clock, and at 15-minute intervals, generated by failures and rolling strange on your dice, it creates these events that happen in the world, um, like these big horror movie moments. So I use a, a slasher a movie as an example. So you're a bunch of camp counselors um, kind of around the campfire. All of a sudden, at quarter past, all the power goes out. Half past, somebody sabotages the school bus. It's the only vehicle that's going to allow you to get out there. Quarter two, camp counselor Kenny gets dragged off screaming into the woods. There's a trail of blood. You never see him again. And at midnight, your slasher, your Jason Voorhees, your Michael Myers, turns up out of the woods and becomes a permanent stalking threat. So it gives this sense of escalating tension. Mm. Um, 
these events that players actually kind of want to uncover but are equally scared of at the same time yeah and the big one for me is that every role has consequence so if you fail there is always a chance that you're going to generate doom every time you roll there's a chance you're going to unlock one of these nasty gribbly events that's going to come after your players and it means that every role has inbuilt tension which i think is just really really fun for a horror game and i deviously love watching players sweat every time they roll dice it's so true like it's such a an interesting mechanic that idea that every time it's like an extra tick that whole idea that we're four minutes to midnight all that sort of thing just into a game and yeah i can definitely imagine having players going well i need to roll but we're so close to if i roll badly that's it. We're going to tick over into the next quarter as well. And maybe moving on to then the archetypes. You've got all these different archetypes, uh, which are you know, brilliantly, I think, imagined as well. You get like, you know, the warrior, you've got the survivalist, uh, you know, all, all these sort of very uh, horror tropes, but they connect, like, as you said, it's not necessarily stuck in one particular time period. You can apply it to all these things. But this idea that uh, certain roles maybe unlock your know, powers of say the strange archetype but also you have uh, abilities that can only happen once every quarter of the doom clock or every cycle and so yeah embedding that that idea of there's a time pressure or there's like a time limit before something else happens really for me adds that idea of like this is a horror movie things are going to happen to you and it's only a matter of time you can only take you you can only hold it back for so long because obviously i know some of the roles and stuff you can take back some of the clocks with these precious minutes but half a how long you know <laughs> we've seen a really interesting thing emerge with our player base with that is that we've kind of noticed there are two types of players there are yeah. what we call doom marchers uh people who will just <laughs> aggressively try and tick up the doom clock because they want to see what happens and they enjoy yeah. the chaos of it yeah. and do managers so the people who are constantly looking for ways to tick back the doom clock and trying to just keep it away from anything happening oh, and, it's, and usually there is there's a balance of those players in groups so then you get wonderful conflict where you have someone who's playing a strange glass canning in it and suddenly the doom clock going wild and someone desperately trying to um almost being like the responsible kind of like caring adult of like let's try not to have the horror happen um it's, it's just been a fascinating thing that we when we were playtesting we saw little bits of it but now it's it's yeah. kind of like yeah seeing these playing styles emerge is just really really fun yeah, and this, I guess that it is that sort of again watching that horror movie. There's always that one person who goes, "Look, I'm just going to go check. It's fine." You're like, you know, why do they always play up to these things? But I guess it's just I don't know. It's just maybe something in players as well. Like, like you said, that idea of like, "Solid, let's do it and find out." It's going to be great. That was an initial challenge we put out to players of being like, one of the things that inspired it was horror movies gain a lot of criticism of there are a lot of people sitting back in their armchairs or on the sofas or in the cinema seats saying that's a stupid decision. I'd never do that. I'd survive in this situation. And I think Shiver challenges you to, okay, try it. Let's, mm. let's see if you will, because it's really interesting that when players are under pressure and they're under stress and there's a creature coming for them, it's hilarious the amount of times that people make exactly the same mm. questionable decisions as they are in horror movies as they do in the game. And I think it just a natural thing of that humans under pressure don't always make the best choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, a game that makes you think about your own humanity in more ways than one. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm going to take that award back from you. Um, well, let's, okay, let's talk about the archetypes as well. So there's something about within the, the way you sort of do uh, character creation, this idea that you have all these different archetypes, which is linked to each one of the key core skills. But also one thing I really enjoy and that, that stood out for me is that when you're doing leveling up per se, you get this idea of like, oh, here's some ability points. So if you're starting at level five, you get five ability points. And then you have a tree to gain different skills. And it feels very much like what we've seen in recent like video games as well. So sort of like the ones that always come to mind is uh, Borderlands and Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And I haven't really seen that much in RPGs. Like obviously, I know, powered by the apocalypse games you have your playbook and your moves and stuff but the idea that you can really customize what your character is where did you get that inspiration from it was it something that you always want intended to have as almost almost like a tree like uh, progression for the characters you hit the nail on the head exactly um video games i'm a big video gamer um as is my brother and when i started kind of figuring out how to do the ability kind of progression and and leveling up when i started looking more broadly and looking at other rpgs i was really surprised that there hadn't been this cross dialogue between mm. video games and, and you don't really see, see it as much. Building a tree seemed to be, to me, like an easy way to communicate this. And we found a lot of um, younger players who've played video games 
take to the character building like a Doctor Water because they build it like a mm. they're doing in a video game. But I think also the the beauty of trees, I think, is that not only does it make it easy to kind of actually communicate what you're doing with your character and figure it out, it opens up a wealth of actually quite complicated character builds in a really simple format. Mm. Because we have a thing in Shiver of like kind of when we when in our testing phase when we were describing how players were building characters. So usually what we would do is we would set an ability like level and then just let people go wild um, right. in, in certain trees. And we noticed that players do, do various different things. So some do what we call build tall. So in the trees and shiver, like they're usually split into three. Some are slightly more unique and kind of like kind of ebb and flow and rejoin in different mm-hmm. points. Um, or the, the weird is slightly different of that they're isolated trees because they're so powerful mm-hmm. um building tall is that basically somebody would pick one path and would just go straight up straight up straight straight, yeah. straight up the top and get all the abilities and get very very themey so like in the the warrior for example um they might pick the berserker be really good at punching stuff and um getting <laughs> kind of stronger as they take damage but some people would like to build broad which we found really interesting of that they'd go a certain level up say in berserker but it'd be like i'm good with my fists but i like I'm a caring character. I like to protect people. And then they go into protect path and get, get behind me. They want to kind of like fight stuff with their fists, but they want to be shuffling the other characters behind them and look after them. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I think I was really enjoying when we were kind of testing it and using those trees mm. is that people were making a lot of decisions based on character rather than gameplay. Oh, that's really cool. Mm. That's that's what you want in role playing games. Like I I know that obviously I I too am someone that builds tall in most of my games because I'm like oh that's easier. Yeah. <laughs> but whereas here I think I do feel like there's more in terms of like customization. I can be flexible. But you're right. I would definitely think like what would my character do rather than oh this is going to get me the most damage output. Is it? I mean there are people who play RPGs like that. You know the min maxes mm. and stuff. And that's totally fine. That's how they play. But I think with this sort of the shift again towards more narrative uh, ways of doing storytelling, that's certainly for you know actual players online and obviously like as you said like using different kinds of dice mechanics that are a more narrative way of describing what the story is it makes total sense that you you know you want to give yourself that options and that's not even to say that you have to stick to one archetype i know you say after a certain i think it's like five levels that you could be like okay you can now you know, go into another hybrid archetype so you can even go into more customization if you're playing several sessions and I, that i quite like as well so that you're not necessarily stuck as the warrior berserker you can go and become a little bit strange you can coming weird and get those little bits in it so what i quite like which will i will definitely go on to i appreciate this is me just going i really like shiver which i know is quite nice to have i really appreciate it it's lovely good. thank you good i just record yeah you can get it as like a, a sound by like i really like shiver fiona what am i rolling but what i think i like about it is that you know, we do have this concept of horror film anthologies horror film series so you do talk about like what is that if, if there's a sequel to your games and that idea that you know you've got your your the quick start adventure at the back the corporate rises and then you can like what happens once you do it come back again it's the same characters but they're different and you can have so, so the idea that there is playability like i said i it feels like it is a one-shot system which is always great that's something that i really love but at the same time if you really enjoy your characters, you can come back and again and again and again in the same world and expand on it. But then you could be still affected from those previous things and become the badass, weird person who suddenly I have powers now because of what happened in episode one, which, yeah, I just really enjoyed that as a, as a, as a way to develop and actually continue the story if someone really enjoyed that world. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, we're very big on kind of narrative change in characters in terms of kind of when you move through. I think like the system can be used for longer form plays. We know a lot of people basically playing stuff like Buffy or any of that kind of like Monster of the Week format, like mm-hmm. people, Love and Shiver seems to work really, really well for. Um, it's kind of what I had in mind of like every week you're facing up against a new kind of monster. But the inspiration for kind of how characters changed across sequels comes from one well, of my favorite horror films, Alien. Yes. Where in the first film, Ripley is a fundamentally she's an engineer. Mm. Um, it is her role. She's whip smart. She's fixing the ship. She's kind of dealing with the other people. And it's only in that pressure cooker of the alien getting on board and her kind of teammates slowly being kind of picked off one by one does she kind of emerge as this heroic badass, this final girl at the end of the film? Mm-hmm. And then when you kind of look at it in Aliens. In a way, she's completely changed archetype. Agreed. So if you applied it to Shiver, she kind of started out as a scholar and gained some elements. And by Alien, she's 
potentially a warrior or a survivor archetype mm. but um at, from the beginning because mm. she from pretty much straight away she's strapping a flamethrower to a gun it's great yeah, it's, it's it, so funny <laughs> and, and that's what we kind of love to see with people is um we've done games where like people have come back and they've mm. their characters have been 20 years older and they've completely changed to their their archetype um mm. is like they've, they've kind of said like in this 20 year gap my character's gone through this and now it's this person which is just a really, really kind of like fun narrative way to approach it. And you get to see real character growth in both mechanics and uh, kind of uh, within the story as well. So let's talk about the dice mechanic as well, because we've sort of alluded to it. So can you describe like what is the dice mechanic that is so unique to Shiver? So Shiver uses a new dice mechanic called the archetype dice system. So it uses uh, symbolic dice. It has two dice uh, types. You have your core skill die, and your talent die. It's a dice pool system, so every character has a specific dice pool for every kind of skill area. There are six core skill areas that are defined by each side of the dice, each side um, having a symbol for it. So you have grit, which is like your equivalent of like strength and kind of resisting damage, wit, which is like your dexterity and kind of reaction time, smarts, which is kind of how much of a boffin you are. Are you good with tech? Are you um, good at investigating things? You have hearts, which is kind of like charisma. Do you want to kind of talk your way out of it or intimidate people? Then we get into the slightly two stranger skills, which are luck. So luck is just generally how lucky you are and determines anything that has any sense of like random probability. And then there's strange, um, which is any element that crosses the line of normality in the world um, tends to roll off strange, as well as um, resisting fear. That's where the kind of fear mechanic comes into it. So, so that's the D6. So it's a D6 covered with, with unique symbols on each side. And then you have the talent die as well. So the talent die, you only get these if you're really, really good at a particular core skill area. And this often kind of comes from the archetypes themselves. So if you're a warrior, you're really good at grit. So when you're rolling grit checks in your pool, you're going to get a talent die. Um, with that, we've got a kind of five-pointed star, uh, which is your talent symbol, which is a universal success for everything apart from strange. Because uh, the, the way that the D8s work is they're kind of a, a near 50-50 split between talent uh, symbols and strange symbols, with some double symbols on there as well for some extra extra kind of rolling spice. So it's kind of really simple. You just you have a number for your core skill, a number for your talent, and you roll them all together. And what you're looking for is as many symbols that align with the thing that you're rolling for. So if I'm rolling grit, I'm looking for as many fists as possible, uh, which is the symbol for grit. To hit something, kick down a door, use a weapon, anything, everything kind of roughly aligns to a core skill. And because they kind of have that flavor of like what they are, it makes it quite easy to, if you're unsure of like kind of what skill a check may be, if you're confused between the difference between intelligence and wisdom, for example, it's one that always got me when I was running D&D. They are smaller groupings that are kind of quite themey. So you'll always kind of know, and we put big guides in terms of like, these are the kind of checks you should be rolling for these. And yeah, that's the, the dice system in a nutshell, really. Yeah, so succinctly as well, because it's it's one of those things where it may be a bit intimidating to people who are brand new to role-playing games, but as you said, with the ability trees, I think actually it is kind of straightforward when you just realise like, oh, you're just matching symbols and stuff, it maybe just take a little while to do it. But going on from that, again, because you just put that so eloquently, the writing in the book... The way you sort of go about giving uh, tips and stuff. So the first part of the book is mostly for players. It's like a prime about what Shiver is and here are the archetypes and how to create character stuff. And then you have a whole, like nearly 100 pages dedicated to DM stuff. But it's all about advice and what to do, not just running the game, but in general about world building and safety tools and all that sort of thing. And I think it's been one of the most thorough uh, and but succinct ways of, of writing to it. Because there are people that you know, write on this subject quite a bit, but it just felt to me that it just felt so inviting for people who may be brand new to GMing or brand new to role-playing games in general. And I just was like, wow, that's such a wonderful way to have all these tips about, maybe it goes back to that whole thing you talked about, like, you know, you went to university to do script writing and that sort of thing. It just felt like, okay, horror films, what are the tropes? What are the things? If you want to do short ones, here's ideas to do one shots, but keep the threat here, all that sort of thing. Like it felt very short, but really sound advice that I was like, oh, I don't think I've actually read that in a role-playing book before. So yeah, that's another big compliment to you, but I just thought the writing of it was, it's just, it's definitely one I'd recommend just to like, oh, that section on world building, that section on like how to run combat, either turn-based or free flow. Check these out because it's just done in a couple of pages. It's not like reams and reams and reams. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's um one of the things that I kind of set out with the DM sides, the, so uh, the called the director. 
so that side of the book, I think I had a similar experience with game books kind of looking around and throwing no shade at specific kind of systems or anything. It, there is a sometimes a lack of explanation of this is how you use the system to do X. But for me, the thing with role playing is all about people gathering together, much like a campfire tale, to tell a story together. And one of the issues I was running into was that for new DMs, there wasn't that level of guidance. I wasn't really finding it of like, how do you take a free act structure and you apply it to a game, like to a role-playing game? Exactly. Which, which, which is what I put in the book because it was something, again, taking that screenwriting training and being, how do I get this to work? Because for me, role-playing games are basically movies where you set out all the characters and the core threat and antagonists and protagonists with your players, but the script's not there. You improvise that together. But you need the structural framework, the beats that are there as someone who's running a game, who's designing um, your own stories in order to get it to, to run at that pace, to mimic that cinematic feeling that you want. And I just wanted to share that and try and invite as many people to run their own games and tell their own stories as possible. Because I think there's a real issue of that. People feel really intimidated about running these games. And honestly, I think it, as many people as possible who we can kind of get into the hobby and, sh and show them that it is not a intimidating thing to run, run these stories. You can create your own B movie about giant crabs and like write it <laughs> and play it and it'd be an absolute hoot. And yeah. I want to, is it like without there being just this huge amount of work, you can really kind of play fast and loose with it and kind of really just like lean into the elements of kind of where you're strong and mm. lean and in my kind of opinion where you're weaker in, in that in terms of like or where you kind of need to grow in terms of running games you that's where you lean on the system mm -hmm. um so but but i think yeah i kind of wanted to open up a discussion about narrative in role-playing games and i'm really glad i think you're the first person who's mentioned that section of it so that's made me very happy yay <laughs> exactly what you said that whole thing of like here's how you run this and then quite a lot of rpgs because they come with their own like it's, here's the world we've already prepared for you here's all the lore which again is great because it's intimidating but it's like there's always like a two-bit saying oh you want to run it in your own world i guess this whereas obviously from the outset you have there is no setting. There's no something set. It is meant for you to create your own stuff. Although I do know that you've you've got obviously uh, gothic that's just mm. just coming out and stuff. Which I only saw like two minutes before we we came. I was like, oh, why didn't I hear about this earlier? Because it sounds so cool. So I'm definitely going to ask you about that in a second. But yeah, I, I just feel like one of the big parts about role playing games is telling a good story. As you said, either it's the DM setting the world up or the, it's everyone getting in together and talking about it. But just to be reassure people, because yeah, you have the structure, but then you're like, I actually don't know how to write a story. And I don't know, I, you know, you can use anything for inspiration, but just having someone just write down a few pages, here's some things to think about and just encourage that. It's so important in that sense. But yes, obviously, Spire came out. Spire? Sorry. Shiver came out. Whoa. As you can see, I'm reading <laughs> loads of books now. So Shiver came out, and obviously, you've had quite a few Kickstarters since then. I know we've got to the current one that's about to is about to be released and stuff, but you've done one called Shiver Gothic. I wondered if you could talk a bit about that for us. So Shiver Gothic is our first foray into doing our own original setting for Shiver, which although the system is kind of setting neutral, we wanted to have a framework to explore a larger story for the players and create a kind of rich world for them to explore because not everybody wants to generate their own kind of big fantasy city to go run around in and punch vampires. Uh, Shiver Gothic is going to split into two books. Um, Secret Aspire Home is the main book, uh, so it's twofold. So it has your player side, which introduced new monstrous archetypes. So this is kind of like heavily inspired by like the Hammer horror films, like the Universal monsters, kind of my first loves in horror. Um, I write about that a lot in the foreword of um, that kind of gothic horror, very much uh, struck a chord with me in my teenage years, definitely. <laughs> um, and, and I've never been able to shake it since. So it's this big walled city called Spirehome um, where there's an unfolding kind of plot involving vampires and other monsters as the city is slowly getting more and more unstable as you and your kind of group of uh, players are trying to uncover what's going on. And you can do this as human characters that you can bring over from the core system, or you can do this as playing as monsters. 
Um, so you can be playing like a vampire slayer one minute, or you can be playing as Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, the mummy, uh, Dr. Frankenstein themselves. Like you, you can, you can go absolutely wild with it. Um, and just full go in on kind of the Gothic nature of things and just mm. go absolutely wild with it. So yeah, it, it's been our first foray into long form storytelling. And with that, we thought we'd add extra mechanics as well. So how the Doom Clock works for individual kind of sessions and one-shot sessions, we've now introduced the Doom Calendar, which we're releasing blank templates for as well so people can apply them to their own worlds. The way the Doom Calendar works is it interacts with the Doom Clock. Um, So it's a 30-day calendar, which interacts with if you make poor decisions in the world, you let NPCs die, you let the Doom Clock tick up wildly, days start to get crossed off on the calendar. And like any good calendar, it is filled with certain events that might particularly happen. But unlike the Doom Clock, rather than a flash fire monster appearing and attacking you, the Doom calendar is more about affecting the world. So for Spire Home, the way that manifests is the city begins to degrade. Curfews are put in place. Ravenous ghouls start roaming the streets. Um, You get plagues of rats running around. Um, Certain districts become dangerous at certain times of the day. And all of these elements just kind of build to using doom and that doom generation to make your world feel alive and that it is increasingly getting more dangerous over Mm -hmm. a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, To help represent that, if you want to play a season of TV in a gothic city, your doom Mm -hmm. calendar is going to be really, really important. Oh man, that I'm instantly, as soon as you said Doom Calendar, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'll, because <laughs> yeah, I just that idea that, yeah, you, you are losing even more time. And I, this is I, clockwise, absolutely. I definitely see that, as you said, the sort of uh, one shots and stuff. But yeah, over a long period, going, oh my God, we've only got a week left. And oh, we've got rid of another day. How could you? You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. But also, again, I apologize very, very briefly, uh, but like I saw again that you had this idea of obviously four big families as well, and this idea there's politics and stuff. And that for me, like, again, you have it's all, all the elements of what I love. You know, you've got the horror, you've got the monstrous side of it, but you also have political intrigue. There's this power play, and, you know, you're stuck in the middle. It's, yeah, all that. I was, when I was just sort of watching the Kickstarter video, I was like, damn, why did I not hear about this earlier? So I'm glad we're having this chat now to go, I'm going to sign up to the newsletter as soon as we finish this recording. But yeah, so yeah, you said that you've got Monstrous Archetype. I know you've got new dice coming out for that as well. And that seems really exciting. But you still have another Kickstarter happening, hopefully right now when this episode goes out. Because So can you tell us what this next Kickstarter is all about? We do indeed. So um, this one's going live on October 11th from GameFound. So it's a Shiver double feature. So it's our own kind of drive-in kind of like movie double feature for you to explore two massive subgenres. Because we realize that within our kind of audience, there are kind of two camps. There are people who are properly into their horror mm-hmm. and people who are like kind of want to try out horror, but are a bit unsure. It's a bit too intense. So we split it into two. Uh, for our horror diehards, we've got Shiver Slasher. And the other half of our double feature is Shiver Blockbuster. So for me, looking at Shiver Blockbuster first, this is all inspired by Spielbergian cinema of like high peril. So like Jaws, Jurassic Park. There's a story in the book that's based off Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where it's all about kids getting shrunk and having to fight giant ants. It's not necessarily what you would consider horror, but it has these horror elements within a grander kind of more adventure style story. I think it's kind of almost a coaching tool in our way of being like, horror is in everything. You just don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It's it's like Jurassic Park, like the Velociraptors terrified me as a kid. Mm. Um, And and I absolutely kind of loved that film for that, for having that little bit of terror, that little bit of peril. So that's blockbuster, kind of like high adventure uh, with large amounts of peril and kind of pepperings of horror. Slasher, on the other hand, is exploring one of the big major subgenres within horror in general and, and within Shiver. Of that, we've kind of touched on it in the core book already, but this expands further the elements of like having a this singular antagonistic element, which you think, oh, it's just one enemy. We can deal with that, right? No, it's it, like we've aimed with this book to kind of make Slasher more dangerous. Uh, Slasher is way more dangerous. Um, way more lethal and kind of get you get that feeling like you're running away from Jason Voorhees around Camp Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we want with those. So with each one, in terms of how it's actually structured, this is also a great way for people to onboard onto the system as well. 
So we're doing starter sets for the first yes. time. And we're not doing one, we're doing two different starter sets. So we're doing a starter set for Slasher, and we're doing a starter set for Blockbuster. So depending on like where you land in terms of the horror camps, there's an entry point for everybody because we want everyone to kind of give the system a try. On top of that, we've done a hardcover book expansion for each of the subgenres as well. So we've got for Slasher, Generation Murder, and for Blockbuster, we've got The Legends of the Silver Screen. Um, so The Legends of the Silver Screen is a vast kind of array of like your classic like Blockbuster elements. So you've got ghost pirates, shrunken kids, all of those kind of like large of kind of elements like giant creatures in the ocean, our Sabbat of Fantasy um, <laughs> one as well, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. The mechanical element that's added in there as well is uh, what we call our Shivers Road to Stardom. So to bring the horror element down, it's the idea that uh, you're actually playing in movies and you have an actor who has a career. You're a returning kind of face who's embodying different characters, but they're being played by an actor um, who can win awards, uh, which gives them certain boons when they're doing certain things, all whilst trying to uncover an actual mystery on the studio lot whilst you're filming these films. Is, is our kind of meta story within it so it, it's it's a whole big bundle of hollywood meta goodness is is that book so that's legends of the silver screen mm -hmm. generation murder is very different it has a element of kind of a film franchise to it but it is a multi-generational story that all interconnects across different decades and with this the mechanical element that's being introduced there is what i call the inheritance system so it's to deal with the fact that Schlassers are so lethal, the likelihood is someone in your group is probably going to die. But if you're playing interconnected stories, that can be a bit of a feel bad. Mm. But with the inheritance system, because each story jumps about a decade, it means that if you survive, you get older and things change. Your archetype can shift slightly. If you die, you can pick an inheritor, whether it be a daughter, a grandson, a relative, a cousin, a friend, and you can pass on some of your experience, mm -hmm. um, an item from the previous story, um, oh. as well as some inherited traumas from the previous game. Um, so, <laughs> so it's not all good. Um, no. <laughs> yes. but, but it's this idea that with Slashes, there is this element of, because their franchise has gone for so long, there is almost this element of inherited evil and trauma that kind of runs through them. Mm. And I mean, no kind of big spoilers here, but with Generation Murder, you have a prequel that starts in the 19 kind of 20s or 30s. Mm -hmm. um, and then it runs from the 1950s all the way up to now. So, so cool. kind, of, kind of like looking at different decades. And our starter set covers one of the gaps. So the starter set is Return to Camp Blood, and that's um, in the 70s. So you've got your classic, like the birth of the slashes is kind of in... Is, is right where our uh, starter set that, uh, oh, lands. That's so cool. Yeah, I love that idea of almost like a legacy type thing, mm. these games. Um, and just the thing that comes to my mind is trivia murder party. That's the <laughs> thing at the end. <laughs> yeah, so that no one really misses out. And it's not like, a, it's not the end, but I love that there is consequences for dying. It's not all like, oh, you know, get back in there. But what a cool way of thinking about it, because you're right, I feel like, you know, I'm definitely in the slasher camp. I'm like, yes, give me more horror. But that's such a cool way to have those different mechanics and it's no lesser game at all. You're not missing out. So yeah, the, the blockbuster one, that sounds so interesting. And I can instantly see people, for me, I'd be like, oh, well, that's perfect for so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. So like, what a cool way to do that. The two different starter sets. Oh, that's so, oh, that's so exciting. So I'm really excited about that. Right, but, but that's how we kind of feel, well, how I feel about it in terms of design with all of these expansions and all the future ones that we have planned, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet um because <laughs> my brother will slap me on the wrist um as excited as i get but all of these expansions the idea is that they are modular so it's mm -hmm. if you want to include the inheritance system in what you're doing you can if you want to include the road to stardom to what you're doing you can if you want the doom calendar you can do that as well so once kind of gothic's released you could take the doom calendar and fuse that with the inheritance system and run a campaign that's in medieval England, say, which is all about peasants and like lords and ladies and stuff and getting killed off by horrors and passing down their responsibilities. It doesn't have to be just slasher. Um, in that, it slashes in that sense. It's we've tried to build everything so it can still apply to that any setting, anywhere, players, anyone, ethos, which is kind of Shiver's underpinning. 
so yeah, so, so that's what we really hope people do. We're really excited to see what people do with the slasher books, but also yeah. what happens when they extract those modular elements and clip them onto something else. Yeah, I like that. That idea of encouraging people to go away and you know, take what they've been given and just run with it is such a oh, such a, for me. That's such the heart of like home brewing and and role playing in general. So that's amazing. What was the biggest sort of challenge you found creating Shiver? If there was one, uh, you might not have had one. <laughs> Well, so first up, time. Um, oh, always. <laughs> I'm saving the initial We're one. We're all time poor, yeah. Um, because now it's allowed me to actually go full time now on it, which has been so exciting. Yeah. Um, but it's been a long journey. I think for me, one of the biggest challenges was balancing what I felt the kind of player base for the game once it's released would expect. I mean, we've just kind of talked heavily about kind of death. Death was a big one. Mm. We went back and forth. Um, me and my brother in particular, my brother acted as like kind of the editor and developer and helping kind of balance rules with me. And one of the issues I, I was quite worried about is that in other games, like people are so precious about their characters. They're really terrified of them dying and losing them and losing all of that progression. And I was the biggest challenge for us was trying to figure out how do you ingrain a feeling that characters aren't disposable, mm. but if they die it can be satisfying. It can be for a narrative reason. It can have interesting consequences. Yes. So for that, one of the ways that we overcame that challenge, you introduce two modes. Um, so you've got survive mode, you've got nightmare mode. Nightmare mode, if you play nightmare mode, people are going to die. Is it, oh, just for out there. Diner, <laughs> I played nightmare mode before. It's uh, joyously rough. I love it. It's very close. It's very much more close to like playing survival horror on a hard difficulty where they basically just give you like two bullets. It's like yeah. that, um, it, which which I which I enjoy at times. Sure. Um, but if you want to kind of have a higher rate of survival, then survival mode is there as well. The other element was giving fun things that can happen when players die. Because I think if you're dead and you're just then it's like handing your character sheet, your game is over. That's kind of a bit of a bummer. But with this, it's like you could have a really satisfying death, but then you could come back as a ghost and start haunting the players. If, you know, they were good to you as a character, you might try and help them. If somebody murdered you within the party, you might try and push a bookcase on them or something. It's, it's like the, the, the options are open to you. And it, there's on that antagonistic front as well, it's like if you're killed by a werewolf or a vampire, then you can as a vampire in a combat and the director could let you control them. Like we make a, there's a long list of kind of like suggestions. Um, I mean, yes. we do say like have some other characters to the side ready mm. um yeah. if, if you want to jump back in but we've had like various things like so uh one of our friends uh in our playtest group ran their version from dust till dawn from a different perspective um <sighs> so people in the cafe with the gecko brothers like kind of hold it up so we were all the people in the cafe and my brother's character got killed instantly became a ghost and his ghost possessed his dog and he played as a dog <laughs> for the rest of the game and he and i think he maintains that is one of the the best and fun like most fun times he's had playing a role gaming game is when he just had to lassie it for a tale about vampires and it's yeah i think that's it death is fun i think that's the thing it's like death can be satisfying and i think death shouldn't be feared as strange mm. as that sounds mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um because for me playing a character and particular certain characters in horror movies there is almost a prophetic element to story structure that kind of demands that you die. So in a way, it kind of makes it more satisfying when you do die. Like um, our biggest example in terms of how we design them as well is uh, Benny from The Mummy. If you know mm. like the, the 90s mummy, mm -hmm. um, he inspired the cockroach path on the survivor, which is all about actually slightly more antagonistic play with other players yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and pretending to be dead and, and avoiding stuff. But when those characters, you get to that third act element, and they get their comeuppance. They get theirs. It's so, wow. yeah. oh, it's so satisfying. Mm -hmm. And from testing with people who kind of like to like write films and kind of do all of that stuff, they always play those kind of characters. And, they always, <laughs> and, it, and it's almost like they are hurling themselves towards scenes where they know they are going to perish in a way that's fun. Mm -hmm. And that brings me an immense amount of joy, is, mm -hmm. is that people finding the fun, the humor, and the the narrative satisfaction that the death of a character can bring rather than the fear of losing that character forever. That's so true. Like it is that sort of, like you said, that preciousness, you put all this time and effort and then it's taken away from you. And then like you said, in other games, it's like, uh, we'll have a break. 
I will have to figure it out. But like you said, you've got those suggestions about what to do. So instantly it's like, okay, we can pick this up and you get a fun thing to do for the rest of the session. And then we can talk it out. And yeah, I think that's so important. And yeah, the two modes as well. When I saw that, I was like, I don't know any other game that does that. And instantly I was like, I don't know what I'd do with nightmare mode. I don't know. It's that scary. But yeah, I like that you have that option to do that. So you could play the hardcore mode on like the quarry or until dawn, all that sort of thing. And just see what happens from there. My next question then is almost like the flip side of it. What was the most fun part when you were sort of creating Shiver? If there was one, I know the whole process of like, I now have a book. I have my, you know, my, my RPGs out in the world. That's always fun. But just in general, was there anything that you were like, this is, this is amazing? I do think it's kind of a twofold thing of writing the archetypes of when they were nailed and they worked in any setting and we ran kind of tests on them. Mm-hmm. That was so enjoyable and satisfying of when like, so I, I remember the day when we kind of finished the trees and it was, um, we had little uh, like cue cards and we pinned it all up on the wall to make sure that it worked and things. And the way that we tested it um, kind of initially, and I think that, that still makes me giddy thinking about it is we would just like almost play names in a hat with pop culture characters that we liked oh. from various films. So we were like, I want to play Sherlock Holmes. And then we'd like look at the trees and be like, so if I did this, 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 and this, yep, that feels like Sherlock Holmes. Or I want to play Benny from The Mummy. I want to play Eleven from Stranger Things. That was one account. And we were just like, yep, yep, yeah. And just like kind of just going and going and going until we ran out and just being like, okay, I feel confident now that I can yeah. release this to people <laughs> um, and, and be like, and that was just really, really satisfying. And also it was just a lot of fun. That's, I think that was the thing I realized is we wanted character creation to be fast, but also just really, really fun because we yeah. had a lot of fun coming up with backgrounds, as you can yes. probably see, and there's going to be more in Gothic as well because we're big on just more options. Just, just go wild, make your crazy, like, chimney sweep urchin that's got telepathic powers is it <laughs> like we want to see it but what are you doing <laughs> exactly <laughs> my sort of penultimate question to you i think you've mentioned it briefly but i'm going to ask it anyway so obviously you've got the kickstarter coming out you've got a uh, you know, double feature it's all very exciting are there any more plans that you can talk about or refer to for shiver or are there any other games you're thinking of doing or is it just like it's too far in the future we've got this kickstarter don't ask me anything else <laughs> okay, so We've got at least the next three to five years of Shiver releases planned vaguely, yeah, um, like we're in various levels of detail. So we know exactly what the next uh, what our next year's release is going to be. But in terms of other systems, I can confirm there are other systems that we've designed under Parable. We're exploring a solo RPG. Um, that I've designed as well, which I can't talk about yet. Oh, that sounds um, amazing, though. Let me know when that comes yeah, out. <laughs> I will indeed, because um, yeah, it's my kind of forced friend to it, and I'm finding it really, really interesting, really, really fun. So Shiver is going to be our main supported system. That's the goal. Absolutely. And yeah, we've got kind of three to five years of that already planned. We know kind of each year what the releases are going to be. And yeah, various other games and systems in the works. It's just the matter. At the moment, we're kind of struggling with landing on when do we release this? Like, when, when do we actually <laughs> do this? Because we just got, is this, I think that's the thing is making this stuff get so intoxicating because yes. seeing people's reactions and people playing with it just makes me really excited. I get really excited. I go away and write some more stuff. And then it's just, it's just a never ending loop. Um, of that really and as well i mean we've gone through that this whole interview without mentioning obviously the amazing artwork that your your illustrator has done then and it's so eye-catching the sort of the the ink and pen look of it that obviously you have your own art book with it as well and so not only is shiver distinctive in the sense of the dice system the writing and like you said these different editions which sound incredible but also it looks great <laughs> which is amazing and like I, I love how you've got you know the upgrades for the books as well and like i, I was like I hope you do posters soon because I really would really like a nice big poster of many of the artwork. We do have um Rhizoprint posters, but they're usually at cons, um, is is the thing at the moment. But yeah, but I think we're do we're gonna be doing more um of that stuff as well. Ben's amazing. He's absolutely kind of incredible to work with. And we uh we discovered Ben when um so he worked with my brother's partner or, or did, and now he works with us full time. And he came to one of our playtests, so he's a big RPG nut. And um, it was in the Dust Till Dawn playtest, funny enough, actually, where he was playing kind of a warrior, Tom of Finland-style biker, um, who was just Amazing. fighting. And he drew um, his character 
Oh. And we kind of saw it and kind of we knew that he kind of did illustration. And he offered at the end of the thing to, oh, can I do something that will kind of doodles for shimmer and stuff? Like, oh, that'd be great. And then we got those that were great. And then we started being like, actually, imagine if the whole book was consistent and looked like this. Mm-hmm. And then we sat down and had a discussion and started, um, as you can see in the art book, like kind of hashing out what that art style was going to be, like kind of what level of detail. And it was so much fun of just kind of discovering that style together kind of we hope like can evoke so many different time periods because that was the big challenge there exactly was yeah. was something that kind of felt like it could be of any era but i think ben's nailed it he's knocked it out of the park and he's just finishing up all the gothic illustrations at the minute which look oh. amazing and ah. i'm very excited i'm so excited to share that book yeah. with you the cover for both of those books if you look onto the kickstarter this is still up there and i'm just like damn i want those as physical books just to be able to like oh these <laughs> just so happen to be like works of art so you know just put that everywhere if somebody was picking up shiver for the first time and was like really excited and they want to be the director what's your sort of big tip or main bit of advice uh, that's not already in the book because <laughs> there's lots of advice in the book but what was it you would say to this person for their first game of shiver in terms of first game of kind of running it i would say have a look at the movies and the pop culture that you love. Pick the one that you're most passionate about and see if you can run that with some minor tweaks and changes. If you love Jurassic Park, give it a whirl. Like, it's have a blast of it. If you love slashes, give that a go. Because I'm very much of the opinion that the thing you are most passionate about and the thing you love the most, you are going to find it much easier to pull on threads and references on the fly to kind of give your players that particular experience so yeah identify what corner in the broad church of horror that you love and run with it full sail just have a laugh of it and also like don't put your pressure on yourself in terms of like performance for character voices (laughs) um what was i reading recently i think it might be grant howitt who said it Mm. in in hearts that's it hearts is beneath the level of performance that you need is is of kind of like professional wrestling level if you think about that and that kind of like building your characters that's perfect i really kind of like vibed with that i think that's an amazing way to approach it so yeah pick your favorite horror movie get your luchador mask on and just like (laughs) like kind of like go ham with it like really lean into the b-movie energy is that a lot of b-movies aren't particularly amazing in terms of like performance or production design but that to me is what makes it so charming in a way Mm -hmm. that's kind of what role-playing is to me it's these fantastic b-movie productions that are being improvised by everybody at the table Mm -hmm. so lean into that lean into that energy it's such a great bit of advice from heart that this because it came upon a shut up and sit down video quite recently with their rpg things and i was like what a great thing so yeah i need to write that and put that like somewhere when i'm i'm dming Charlie, thank you so much. My final, final question is like the Columbo one more thing. Where can we get Shiver? Where can we find out about the new Kickstarter? And where can we find out more about Parable Games online? So you can find us across all social media. So you can find us at, at Shiver RPG on Instagram, Shiver RPG on Facebook, at Games Parable on uh, Twitter. In terms of where you can find the game, the full core system, Curse Library and Dice, are all available through our website, our Facebook store, but also at um, parablegames.com. That can be kind of uh, bought as well. But if you do have like friendly local gaming stores, if you ask there, we are uh, about three months ago, we started distributing everything to stores. So you can buy it in stores as well if you'd like to kind of pick up your book and see if there are any people playing at the stores as well. If they don't have it in stock and you'd like to buy it from your friendly local game store, just ask because uh, uh, we try and want to try and get it in as many stores as possible as well. But yes, our main website, uh, parablegames.com, um, has all the links that you need uh, in terms to get the game. Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much, Charlie. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. You too. I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in the future including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question or think of an RPG designer you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know. Our email address is whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.